T minus 90 seconds and counting. All systems are go. It's a big philosophical question of what we as species think we are going to do when we leave the boundaries of the planet that has hosted us for you know million years or so as a species. T minus 60 seconds and counting. Hi, I'm Dallas Rogers and you're listening to the Conversation Speaking With podcast. Coming up on a go for all the sequence start. It's 2026 and you're on board the Ares, the largest interplanetary spacecraft ever built. You're on the first colonial voyage to Mars and your crew will be the first hundred Martian colonizers. Does this sound like a familiar tale? It's the opening sequence in the first book in Kim Stanley Robinson's award-winning science fiction Mars trilogy, which chronicles the colonial settlement of Mars. And for Juan Francesco Salazar, this science fiction series opens up some pretty interesting questions about what we think we're doing when we colonize Antarctica and beyond. My name is Juan Francisco Salazar. I'm an associate professor in the School of Humanities and Communication Arts, University of Western Sydney. I don't know many philosophers that have tried to respond to this question, but I know many science fiction writers who have done very interesting work trying to anticipate or respond to this question. One is Kim Stanley Robinson, an American writer who has worked in the Antarctic. He was um, a National Science Foundation fellow, so he traveled to the, to the Antarctic and wrote a novel called Antarctica just after his trilogy, the Mars Trilogy, that was is his most famous work. And in the Mars Trilogy, he basically sets up this philosophical question of how do we colonize Mars and whether we maintain Mars as it is, as it is and try to minimize the impact or whether we fully exploit the planet and basically just rip it off to to continue capitalist life on Earth. So here's the thing about colonizing Antarctica and the regions beyond Earth. Unlike places like Australia, which has a territorial boundary and national identity, any national territorial claims to Antarctica, just like the planets in space, will need to be negotiated between many countries. And then they'll need to build a collective identity for these places. So that mirror created by Earth and Mars is to a point similar to how we look at the Antarctic and what the Antarctic reflects back to the world. The Antarctic in that sense is almost like an extra terrestrial space within the planet, almost extraterrestrial at the same time as extraterritorial. So the other uh, interest is in looking at how we build that world in part as a stepping stone for life in other planets. I think a lot of the work that happens in the Antarctic, a lot of the scientific research, not all of it, but a lot of it is in preparation for understanding outer space, where there is the search for microorganisms in, in other planets of the solar system or to an understanding astronomical processes. So I'm interested in, in that link between the Antarctic and outer space. Yeah, we have a go for auto sequence start. 
And this all started with a dream. A dream uh, since I was a little kid growing up in Argentina and in Chile. I'm originally from Chile, but I spent my first 10 years in, in Buenos Aires during the um, conflicts, the South Atlantic conflict, just before the Falkland War, uh, when Chile and Argentina were about to go to war for uh, geopolitical control of the South Atlantic. So in geography class, uh, both in both countries, we were taught the Antarctic, whether the Antarctic was Argentinian or whether the Antarctic was Chilean and how the country's interests there in doing sovereignty in this, um, in the Iceland, in the south, southern Iceland. So I had this big obsession with the Antarctic since I was sort of 12, 13 in the back of my mind. And then I, I became a, an anthropologist and a, and a media maker, a video maker, filmmaker. And when I was recovering from surgery uh, in hospital here in Sydney, a friend brought me a New Scientist magazine, which I used to read also obsessively when I was a teenager. And there was um, a report on the Antarctic and uh, the sort of the future geopolitics of the Antarctic which is, was a very strange article for the New Scientist because it was much more a political article than a scientific one. As I was lying uh, on the bed in hospital, I thought I, I really want to do a project about the Antarctic and all that interest came back that was hidden somewhere in the back of my memory and, and it took me another five years to, to set it up. I think the Antarctic is such a fragile environment and space and it's changing so fast. Um, part of the Antarctic uh, are the fastest warming places on Earth. It has some of the most fragile uh, ecosystems in the world and the impact in that the destruction or the change of the Antarctic is going to have on the whole planet is so big uh, that I hope that a lot of people take interest in, in the Antarctic. My interest is that the big question of what are we humans doing in the Antarctic or thinking that we are going to be doing in the near future. And I've always thought that as a species we are builders of worlds and destroyers of worlds. So that's what I think we're doing in the Antarctic. We're building a new world there. Uh, at the same time as we are changing it, I, I'm not sure if destroying is a hard word. Uh, for some we are destroying you know, that pristine wilderness but at the very least, we're really changing that world. What exactly is Juan Francesco Salazar doing as an anthropologist in the Antarctic? I wonder, is he playing with academic ideas like the Anthropocene, which is a way of talking about the time when humans started to have significant impact on the Earth's ecosystems? Or is he playing nature against culture? Or is he playing the old science versus social science game? No, what I'm trying to do is to use the Antarctic as a platform uh, for creating a dialogue between scientists or you know, natural sciences and social sciences. I think the, um, the dilemmas and the complexities of doing work in the Antarctic are so big that scientists themselves cannot uh, re you know, answer those questions by themselves. Uh, so I think the Antarctic 
pushes us to develop a dialogue. So I'm not putting science against culture. I'm not, I'm not un, interested in doing a critique of what scientists are doing there. Uh, I'm interested in trying to understand what they're doing and we share the same sites of research. If a microbiologist is looking for extremophiles in a particular site, that site may be um, uh, complete, you know, complete, surrounded by wilderness or it could be in a place where humans have lived for the last 60 years. So I'm trying to find this point of connection of science as culture, you know, science as a way of colonizing the Antarctic. And in the one hand, it's a violent colonization, like any human, not because it's science, but because it's human. But at the same time, how different nations, the other part of the academic question is how different nations are finding the need to develop a dialogue, an intercultural dialogue, an international dialogue, of cooperation and collaboration in this extreme environment. The Antarctic pushes us to think about the future and some of the traditional methods that we use in the social sciences are not enough to develop a sort of forward thinking or an anticipatory perspective like the sciences do have quite developed. So many of the sciences are anticipatory, whether it's climate change or microbiology. And I think this in the social sciences, we're, you know, for the right reasons, more busy think about the past and the present. And I thought I didn't have substantial methods to deal with the future. So this speculative method uh, or anticipatory method, so th thinking about a future ethnography or an anticipatory ethnography, I wanted to experiment with that and see whether I could create a different perspective to understand the, the future of the Antarctic. So I, I just made a documentary film based on the ethnographic research um, called Nightfall on Gaia, where I take a lot of the interview material and try to develop a speculative, uh, an anticipatory but sp speculative view of the Antarctic in 30 years time and you know, try to answer that philosophical question in using a speculative method, borrowing from science fiction, but grounding it in a more academic ethnographic project at the same time. T minus 17 seconds in count. Hmm, so could methods like documentary filmmaking and indeed ethnographic documentary filmmaking be the answer to how scientists and social scientists might work together? I think it's still very difficult. I think the, um, the culture wars of the 80s and 90s are still there uh, on both sides. I had to deal with you know, a range of scientists and I attend the Scientific um, Committee for Antarctic Research, uh, the annual meetings um, for the last six years. So there's a lot of reluctance from this natural earth scientist to work with social scientists. Uh, not so much at the level of theory. I think at the level of theory I see it slightly easier to have a, a, an in-depth conversation is at the question of method, where I think most of the things are, um, you know, where, where the problems arise. Um, but I think it's a question of time that the big complex 
issues of climate change, the Anthropocene. The Anthropocene is a good example of that dialogue is possible. The notion of the Anthropocene and how we unpack the notion and use it, um, it's, a good, uh, you know, it's a good example. But I, I, I am optimistic in that a dialogue is possible and if the social sciences sort of agree that you cannot have a postmodern critical uh, deconstructive, deconstructive view of everything all the time, I think uh, and the sciences are open to thinking that we are not here to communicate the science, we are not at the service of the sciences, we have a critical view and a way of understanding the world and the, and the human and human nature and the relation between the human and, and the natural in, in different ways. Uh, it, it, it could be possible, but it's very difficult still. Uh, it's not. I had to explain myself many times when they ask an anthropologist in, in the Antarctic, are you studying us? And I said, well, no. But yes, <laughs> but no, but yes. So it, it, I had to explain that I'm not studying them as objects of study, but I'm interested in their practices and what they're doing and in working with them uh, rather than, you know, an object of study in the traditional sociological way. Yeah. 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, Thank you for listening to this Speaking With podcast. Just a reminder, you can subscribe to this podcast series on iTunes or through TuneIn Radio. And if you like this podcast or have ideas or suggestions for the Speaking With series, please leave us a review or comment through iTunes. I'm Dallas Rogers. See you next time.